0: Uh, take your Bibles for our devotional thought this morning. Uh, Micah 6.8, we're going to look at that quickly. Um, no, don't worry. I'm not going to keep us here until 12, 12 20. But no, don't get excited. Every sermon's not going to be 10, 15 minutes from now on either. So uh, this is a special case on a special day. Uh, this is setting no sort of precedent. Micah 6 8, our, the, the focal verse for Compassion uh, Sunday this year was well, you see it right here on my, my t shirt. Uh, act justly, love mercy. Uh, sometimes, sometimes the simplest instructions are the best, right? Uh, usually the simplest instructions are the best. Um, except maybe when it comes to Ikea instructions. Uh, I've got a picture of those coming up here in just a second. Uh, Yeah, Uh, if you don't know anything about Ikea instructions, there are no words. It's just pictures. And sometimes that's helpful. And sometimes that's not. So sometimes simplicity doesn't really uh, help. But the Bible is full of simple, summary instructions. And Micah 6.8 is one of those instructions. We're actually going to start, uh, I had planned to read the entire chapter, and I'm not going to do that now, Uh, but uh, we'll talk about it briefly. 6 through 8, though, is what I am going to read. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before Him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, or with ten thousand streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? The, the answer is mankind, he has told you, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God, in verses one through five, God brings a case against Israel for not being faithful, not being faithful to Him, not being faithful to the covenant, not being faithful to their promises that He made to them. And in those passages, you'll read that He uh, says, "Mountains and enduring foundations of the earth, uh, listen; uh, they they all understand all of creation." Understands and and, and sees the guilt of the nation of Israel. It's obvious and known by everybody, and that's who he calls as witness. Creation, look at what my people are doing. Did you not? Do do they not know? Were they were they ignorant of the fact? Do they not remember? Well, none of those are the case. Uh, the The verdict is they were disobedient. Verses 6-7 through seven then give us what are man's attempts to make up for the problem, to, to fix the problem. And then verse 8 is what the Lord requires, which is the title of the message this morning, What the Lord Requires. The speaker in verse 8 begins with, what should I bring before the Lord when I come? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? The thing is, the speaker in this case should know exactly what he is supposed to do. Uh, This isn't some new convert to the faith. This is a speaker, maybe a king or something like that, but he's speaking for the entire congregation, and this is... Uh, occurs sometime in the oh five six hundred BC, they've uh, maybe even uh, later on 400 BC. They, they're in exile or they have been in exile. They, they this is not like right after they got the law and right after they got the covenant. It should have been obvious to the speaker, to the people, uh, what to do. But the speaker's alienation from God. Is made obvious by these questions. Well, what am I supposed to do to, to, to make this right? Am I supposed to just give everything I have? I mean, there's almost this tone of sarcasm. And, and, and you know, what, what does God want from me now? That's the idea he has. As a matter of fact, he is so distant from God that he has no clue what God wants. Sadly, we find ourselves in that situation. We are so distant from God, and that's why we spent 13 weeks on experiencing God and, 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 and uh, understanding how we can experience God in our daily lives so that we aren't so distant from God that we don't know what He wants from us. See, when, when the speaker comes with these ideas, when he says, what should I bring him? Burn offerings with year-old calves? That's a pretty... Uh, um, impressive offering, right? But it keeps growing. We see that the the idea behind these gifts uh, is to appease, not to repent. It's 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 uh, flattery almost. It's well, God, will you, will you shut up if I just give you the calves? If you if you take the rams, I mean, if I give you all this, would you just leave me alone about this? That's the idea behind uh, this guy's. Words. It's an offering of everything he has, except the one thing God wants: his heart. If we go back and we read, uh, he he talks about in verse four. I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that uh, land of place of slavery. Verse five. My people, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed. He he uh, rescued them from that. See, God had saved Israel. From, from Egypt, he had saved them from Moab, and they think what he wants in return is stuff. These things, uh, it costs them something. And, and, and you hear that in this tone as well, not just sarcasm, but oh, the preacher's preaching about money again. Well, I mean, they didn't say exactly that way, but that, that's the idea. Oh, he, well, he wants more of my stuff. I got to give more. I got to do the, I, I just, will nothing get. God off of my back. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come with before Him with burnt offerings with year-old calves? Speaker's just unsure of what God would require. Again, this is a, a relationship issue. As a matter of fact, He is so remote. From God that in that previous uh, section he refers to God on high. Now there are times when that phrase would be a, a worshipful response. Uh, we we pray with uh, Jace and Janie Marie at night, starting out them out on uh, simple prayers, uh, and we have a, a little formula we use. Um, uh, wow, thanks. S- sorry. Wow, sorry. Thanks, please. Uh, that's kind of our, our formula. And the, the, the first one is wow, it's to, to praise God. And and Jace nearly every night Wow, God, you're mighty and strong because our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. That well that's he, he's remembering the song, that's that's what he's doing. Um that would kind of be that phrase God on high, if, if you know, if Jace. Wow, you're God on high, that, that, that would be worshipful. In this case, though, it's not worship, it's distance. What, what, when I come and bow down before God way up there away from me out of my life, when I make this trek, when I go to the, the mountain where he's sitting, climb up and bring all this stuff, what should I do? These, these various offerings, they sound really worshipful, really sacrificial, but really all they are are extravagant bargaining chips. God, if I give you this, will I then get what I want? Will I then get this relationship fixed so you'll quit bothering us with the prophets and will quit telling us how we have moved away, how we have run from you? And in reality, they're, they're really offerings that the speaker probably can't give. I mean, the 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 value of these is uh, incredible when you start counting them. Year-old calves. I mean, that's the best calf you could give them. Uh, ten with thousands of rams. The the only time that really happened, Solomon uh, offered something similar to that when they dedicated the temple. Uh, but then 10,000 streams of oil. We measured, uh, we even today, but they measured oil in uh, pints and quarts. And he's talking about rivers of oil. There was, there was no sort of wealth that could have done this. He's, he's offering something he can't. But then the last passage, the last section of verse 7 He offers something that God doesn't want, that would actually offend God. Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Is that what you want, God? You just want me to kill my first child for you? Well, in fact, God does want our children. He doesn't want us to kill them. He wants us to give them to him. And the covenant relationship was that the firstborn was his and was redeemed, though, with an animal. But they're saying, what, you you just want everything, don't you, God? And then the answer comes. See, we want to bargain, we want to exchange, so we won't have to do the hard work of giving what is required. What the Lord requires. The prophet answers, God answers through the prophet, and says, mankind, he has told you. Yes, there is a requirement from those for whom salvation has been procured. When when, when salvation is, is, is gotten, is bought, is purchased, freedom was purchased for Israel. Freedom was purchased for us. And when that realization comes, he has told us what he wants, a relationship. It's what he wanted with the people of Israel. Sure, there were, there were ceremonial acts that would encourage that relationship. There were, there were methods. There were rituals that would focus the people, but it wasn't about the rituals. It wasn't about the methods. It was about the relationship. We have rituals and methods here to focus us in worship and on relationship. We do discipleship. We come in here. We sing. We take the Lord's Supper. But none of these things are are uh, the most important thing, the most important thing The worship, and all of these things are worthless if we are just going through motions trying to appease God and bargain with Him. I'll give you these things if you make my life easy. He has told us He wants a relationship, and that relationship results in something. Three things the relationship results in. First, we act justly. Uh, this is practicing a relationship that gives back. And now we can begin to see how this passage applies today to Compassion Sunday. If you're going through Esther, you will hear elements of your, your Sunday school lesson this morning, how we stand with conviction, how we stand for things that will get us booed, will get us fired, will turn our family against us. We Practice a relationship that gives back. Put another way, this is a relationship, this is an action that delivers the oppressed and punishes the oppressor. This is our horizontal relationships. These reflect our horizontal relationships. Believers, Christians, where there is injustice, the church should confront it and fight it every time. Where there is injustice, the church should confront it and fight it. it. And we have things we love to confront and, and fight. Now, we'll fight against abortion. That is injustice. This Alfie, I can't think of his last name, baby in England, we, we are up in arms about that. But you, did you see the black guy this week that got thrown to the ground, handcuffed? He was handcuffed, he got thrown to the ground, knocked his teeth out because they thought he had a gun, it was a cell phone. He was handcuffed and he was thrown to the ground. He wasn't fighting back. There's a video. You can see it. Are we as outraged about the injustice to that black man as we were to that baby? See, that's unpopular. It's unpopular for me to stand in front of some of y'all and say that this morning. Yet we are called as Christians to point out injustice wherever it is. I've actually had a family member tell me, based on what I've said about race lately in the last year, That he fully expects me to be marrying gay people pretty soon because I've gotten so liberal. Are you willing to take a stand and have people say things about you that aren't true so you can act justly? And you can take on injustice, deliver the oppressed. See, this is the action of faith. We have faith, but we must act on it. Act justly. Love faithfulness is the next section of this verse. Love God would be another way to translate this. Faithful love would be how you could translate this. This is that Hebrew word chesed, which is loving kindness. It's, it's almost untranslatable, and it is almost always used in relationship to the Lord, talking about God, his loving faithfulness, his loving kindness. It is descriptive almost totally of him, and yet we are told we are to exhibit the same sacrificial love for others that God shows for us. We, in this passage, are told to have chesed, God-like love for everyone. That will put us in a position of making other people mad at us when we love and stand for people that others say they deserved it. Faithfulness, love, mercy, grace, those are all included in this word love faithfulness or uh, love of God or faithful love, chesed. If acting justly was horizontal, loving faithfulness or faithful love is... A, a vertical commitment with a horizontal result. So the first one was just horizontal. The second one was... There we go. I can do it. It's kind of like rubbing your head and patting your belly to do this. Uh, it, both vertical and horizontal. As, as I, this, this word not only does it almost always refer to God, it almost always refers to a situation where one is in a position of power above another. And it is the one in position of power above the other that is always told to exhibit that chesed, that loving kindness. It's never this way. It's always this way. So if you are in a position of power, if you are in a posi- position of privilege, if you are in a position where you can affect positively the oppression of someone, take away the oppression, remove the impress op- oppressor, then you are to do it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if we don't do it, if we have the ability to help someone and we do not, the love of God is not in us. We are to have loving faithfulness to all people. This, if, if acting justly is the action of faith, this is the attitude of faith. And then, finally, we walk humbly with your God. That's the third command. Here is the completely vertical part of this relationship. Actually, humbly here could be better translated wisely. So we walk wisely with our God. But regardless of whether it's humbly or wisely, we can kind of get the same image from it. It's a walk that understands who God is and what his attributes are. It's a, it's a walk that, that spends time with them, "My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do." I mean, that, that's, that is a walk that we are teaching FLC, or, or, or is that what the FLC is teaching our children. That's where Jason and Jenny Marie have learned that song. They are learning to walk wisely with their God already at four years old, because they understand who God is. He is so big and strong and mighty and that there's nothing He cannot do. It's a walk that accepts what God does and trusts His sovereignty. If He is so strong and big and mighty and there's nothing He cannot do, then we sit and rest in His sovereignty and say, you know what, I don't like the situation, but I understand that God is bigger than the situation. He is also bigger than the boogeyman. You'll learn about that tonight uh, at the picnic. You better be intrigued now. Um, We have to trust that He is bigger than that. We have to trust that when we go through trials, that we walk wisely, we walk humbly with Him, and He is in charge, and we can leave that with Him. It's finally a walk that realizes the great need we have and the great debt we owe. Wisdom is knowing what you can't do. One aspect of wisdom. I I don't... I'll change a faucet in my house, maybe, I hate to do it. but I won't mess with plumbing much in the house. I'll change a light switch, but mm, and, you know, beyond that, no electricity for me. I don't like I don't do anything. I mean, really, that's, 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 that's the truth. But it, part of it is laziness. Part of it is wisdom that I don't need to get in the middle of that, because I'm going to mess something up, probably me. See, wisdom is knowing what I can't do. It's a walk that realizes the great need. I have a great need for an electrician. I have a great need for a plumber. I have a great need for a mechanic. In this situation, I have a great need for a savior. I have a great need for a God who can do in my life what I cannot do. We have a great need, and we have a great debt that we owe. Wisdom says, I understand that this debt I owe is a debt I cannot pay. I am $10 trillion in debt, and I make a dollar a year, and I'm going to live 70 years. I mean, that's the idea behind the sort of debt that we owe because of our sinfulness. I walk wisely with God, knowing that He paid that debt through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's walking in wisdom. That is walking wisely humbly or wisely with our God. So the end of our devotional thought this morning. Believers, we bring our sacrifices and we demand that God be pleased with them. God, I gave this to you. God, I did this for you. God, I'm doing these things. And God says, that's not what I asked for. That's not what I told you to do. I could go back to Saul and, the, and the, uh, the, the offering of the sacrifice that was not what God wanted. And, and Samuel saying, obedience is better than sacrifice. We want to give what we want to give, not what is required. God requires us to take care of little girls like we're on that video. Like Oscar and uh, Valeria that we uh, sponsor Two children in Honduras. 30 bucks a month. It's nothing to us. And it's incredible to them. True religion is taking care of widows and orphans, we're told. See, there are a lot of simple instructions that carry a lot of impact. Believers... We bring our sacrifices, we demand that God be pleased with them. We also, believers, are called to put justice and mercy for others above ourselves and our desires, above our pride, above our families, above our traditions, above our histories, above our lineages, above everything that we hold dear, we put others first, particularly those who are less than Under us, for whatever reason, because we are all one race, one people. We are all image bearers of God. And we should treat each other that way. And believers, it's a daily wise walk with God that produces this. We don't bring sacrifices that we consider sacrifices if we're wisely, daily walking with God. We bring what He wants from us. It may have nothing to do with our wealth. It may have nothing to do with our stuff. It may be that we act justly and we love faithfulness. But we know that only when we walk with him daily, wisely, and humbly. That's my three admonitions to believers. But unbelievers, if you are here this morning without a relationship with Jesus Christ, then all of this is nonsense. You can't do anything. You, you, you can't act justly. You can't love faithfulness. So you, you certainly can't walk humbly with God. You, you can have an idea of what justice might be. The only way you understand what justice might be is because there is a natural revelation in this world that says this is what justice is. But that justice comes from somewhere. That justice comes from God. And you cannot experience that true justice. You cannot experience true mercy, faithfulness, or any of those things without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't experience the wonder, the emotion of, accept, of sharing the Lord's Supper, Mindy, the emotion of singing those words. You can't experience that outside of just a surface emotional level without Jesus Christ. As your Savior. So, what the Lord requires is that you understand that you are holy, uh, that God, rather, you ain't holy. God is holy and just, and He will judge sin. He will require payment for the debt that you owe. You will have to pay it. And we owe that debt. We are willfully sinful and fallen. We are destined for everlasting torment and judgment. That is our end. But Jesus took the place. Of, our, of us on that cross. He took our sin. He took our punishment. See, a wise walk realizes we can't do it our, on our own. We never could. We never will. Jesus, the perfect son of God, took our place. He took our sin on the cross. He died for all people, and he rose three days later. A wise walk begins with the last bullet point. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in Him and then live for Him. How do you live for Him? Well, you uh, act justly. You love mercy. And you walk humbly with your God. The horizontal relationship, you act justly to everyone, regardless of what your opinion about them is. You love mercy, love faithfulness. You have a vertical relationship relationship that affects you horizontally, and then walking humbly with God, that's the vertical. You get that relationship right daily, and you walk wisely with the Lord. And you can begin that walk today, or you can renew that walk today. Those are the two options you have, but everybody in here needs to choose one or the other. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak to us God, that we can walk wisely, we can walk humbly with you, we can, we can know our, uh, our requirement, we can know what you want from us, and God, we can give it. You, you will not, you, you'll put a lot on us that we have to depend on you for, but when you require something of us, you will provide all we need in order to give it. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, thank you for that chesed that loving kindness that never fails, the promise that you would never leave us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, whose death we celebrated in in meal form today. And we pray that you would permeate each heart this morning and change lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how should you respond? How should you walk humbly with God? Do you need to trust Him as your, for, as your Savior? Do you need to follow in obedience and be baptized? Do you need to come and renew a walk with Him at the altar? Uh, Jordan will be over there to pray with you in that corner. I'll be over here to pray with you in this corner. You do as God leads this morning. Let's stand and let's sing and let's do business with the Lord.